We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we doing? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. <coughs> Coughing at the worst possible time, but we go on. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Max Torres. Joining us today is Jake Curtis of Cal Sports Report. We're going to be giving you our preview of number eight Oregon against the Cal Golden Bears. Ducks hitting the road to head to Berkeley. Um, and we're going to get into some great stuff today. Got some points we want to hit on. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to answer some live viewer questions. So if you guys are here in the live chat, go ahead and drop a question and Jake and I will try to tackle it once we get through our stuff. But with all that being said, Jake, how are you doing? Thanks for being here. I'm doing pretty well. It's a little cooler here in Berkeley than we used to. I got the heater on here for the first time this year. So it's a little little chillier than uh, than usual. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I'm uh, I'm actually out here in Long Beach and, uh, you know, the past couple of mornings have been in the 50s. Um, and I'm, I'm needing to grab my sweatshirt. So we're, uh, we're definitely in fall and, uh, heading towards some cooler temperatures, but, um, it's, it's going to be, uh, we'll see how the game is on, on Saturday. I just got my credential approved, so I'll be at the game. Hopefully the weather won't be, won't be too bad for us. Yeah. I'm expecting pretty good weather for Saturday. It's going to warm up a little bit, I think. All right. Well, that's uh that's perfect timing for us, but let's go ahead and hop into kind of our first topic for today's show. Um, as we get to know the Cal Bears a little bit more, and then we both offer up points on uh, you know the teams that we cover. So right now we're looking at the Bears. Uh, we're looking at Cal three and four overall, just one and three in Pac-12 play. What's the mood of the Bears fan base from from what you've been able to gather and kind of the direction they're headed? Uh, they're not too pleased, obviously. The main criticism, Bill Musgrave is is the target of a lot. Of, he's the offensive coordinator at Cal. He's the target of a lot of criticism simply because their offense is so bad and they haven't been able to score particularly lately the offense isn't getting any better so people are pretty disappointed about that I don't think people are mad at Wilcox so much uh, Justin Wilcox the head coach particularly I think for one of the, one of the main reasons is because he was offered that Oregon job and turned it down now there was a lot of issues involved in that he was in the midst of a uh, extension contract extension at the time at Cal so it would have looked kind of kind of kind of bad for him to to make a move at that point but i think i think he's in in a solid situation i don't think his job status is is in jeopardy but musgrave who's been the nfl offensive coordinator for a long time and offensive coordinator at other colleges 
he's getting a lot of grief. And I, Wilcox does not like to uh, fire assistant coaches. In fact, he never has. He's, he sort of pushes them off and helps them get another job. But I wouldn't be too surprised if, unless something drastically changes this year, that he makes a change at offensive coordinator at the end of this year. Okay. Yeah, I know that the, the Cal offense has been pretty underwhelming for a while, uh, but obviously they were able to uh, do just enough to beat Oregon two years ago the last time the Ducks were in Berkeley. So they've got some momentum on their side in, in that regard. Um, the Cal offense, we're going to talk some more about them and, and kind of some of their star players. But I wanted to go back to what you were saying about uh, Justin Wilcox being offered the Oregon job and, and turning it down. I think a lot of people, they read that headline and they kind of scratch their head a little bit, seeing that Justin Wilcox played at Oregon, uh, you know, is an Oregon man, so to say, man of Oregon. Um, and a lot of people would think that that's a much more appealing job than than Cal, um, seeing the success that Oregon's enjoyed, the resources that they have. Um, so I kind of just wanted to get some of your perspective on just why do you think Cal is such a difficult spot or you know a tough place to coach at well there's so much bureaucracy there uh, in terms of uh acquiring facilities and just doing things to help the football program there's not the the uh the push the the pressure to uh succeed in football like there is in a lot of places there's a it's a it, i don't know having said all that there's really no reason Cal shouldn't be a much better football team and basketball team for that matter too. And it just, I don't know, in a lot of ways, it just sort of boggles my mind, especially when you see Tedford had a lot of success there at Cal. Uh, and uh, it boggles the mind that if you look at Sonny, Sonny Dykes at TCU now, the guy that was at Cal before, they're what, uh, seventh in the country now, ranked and undefeated. Uh so, and he had no success, not no success, but very little success at Cal. And, and the same thing is happening with, uh, with uh, uh, Wilcox as well. So I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that it's necessarily that difficult to win at Cal, but it's certainly, they've been uh, unsuccessful for sure. They've gone, if they go have a losing Pac-12 uh, record this season, this would be their 13th straight season of losing conference records. Nobody else in the conference is even close to that that mark, and that's kind of that's kind of amazing when you think about it. And you think like at least once in a while they have a team that's going to be five and four, but they haven't been able to do that. So I, it still perplexes me to some. There's there's a lot of bureaucracy, and certainly in the pandemic year, it was really a problem because they had all kinds of constraints placed on them that other teams didn't. But that was just the one year. Otherwise, I'm really. I don't think there's any reason the Cal can't be much better in football and basketball for that matter than they've been. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a little bit of a head scratcher. I mean, I know that it's one of the more uh, highly touted academic schools in the country. So you have the, the academics to, to, you know, go up against a little bit, but we know that's not always a deciding factor. Stanford's been in the Rose Bowl a bunch of times in the meantime. So. Exactly. <laughs> Well, hey, at least at least Cal has that going for them. They're the best team in the Bay Area right now uh, <laughs> when it comes to college football because Stanford's having a, a rough go of it. Um, and, and I think with Cal, too, the, the building block for them or what they've been able to hang their hat on in recent years has been their defense. And because their offense has struggled so much, I, I feel like that's probably played a factor in just 
having some difficulty to to attract some some top talent. I know Jermaine Terry is is a local guy um, mm-hmm. that they got a couple years ago who, who's been playing fairly well for them from what I've been able to gather. Um, but yeah, you, you bring in the other coaches that they've uh, had there that are now having success at other stops. And it does kind of make you wonder what what's the missing piece. And maybe maybe that's the million dollar question. Can you try to weigh in a little bit there? The missing piece? <sighs> Boy, I think the missing piece is they haven't been able to uh, recruit or, or attract or, or sign top-notch offensive linemen. And without top-notch offensive linemen, you really can't do a lot in the Pac-12. Uh, when Tedford was there, they had a bunch of guys who were really good offensive linemen. They had Todd Stusi, They had uh, Troy Ozine. They had Eric Malland. And, and they had uh, Alex Mack. They had all kinds of guys who were really good offensive linemen. And I don't know what the reason is, but whether it's in, un, un, unable to develop those offensive linemen or unable to recruit good enough offensive linemen, they just haven't had many good offensive linemen. They have two offensive linemen in the pros now, and they were both free agent uh, signings undrafted who are not who are not starters now. So they're, they're just not turning out good offensive linemen, and their offensive line this year is clearly the weakness of the team. So I think that's the issue. If they could ever get two, three really elite NFL caliber, not you know, not necessarily all Pac-12, but guys who get drafted and can maybe play in the in the NFL, I think that would that would turn things around because they have enough good skill position players eh, at at wide receiver and tailback, maybe not at quarterback, but they have they have some. They're able to attract enough skilled position players just haven't been able to do it in the trenches. And that's really where it's one, I think in the PAC 12. Yeah, no, the trenches are absolutely a key factor for any team. We've seen the emphasis that's been placed on the trenches at Oregon, certainly on the offensive line under Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal in recent years. And then Adrian Clem and, and uh, the rest of the offensive line staff this year have done a tremendous job developing that group. Uh, just got another offensive line commit today, actually, um, from the JUCO ranks. I'm going to see if I can maybe get a pod on that tomorrow. I'm traveling a little bit, so we'll have to see when we can do that. But four offensive line commits in the month of October for Oregon. Um, okay, so we're we're kind of trying to see what's going on with Cal, and it looks like if they can get some good offensive linemen in there, they can really turn things around, just get a more entertaining offense, more explosive offense that can can be more appealing uh, yeah. to some of these, uh, you know, top targets that they're going after, but recruiting is the lifeblood of any program, right? Isn't that the saying? Yeah, that's right. I, I, I remember I was listening to the, uh, the Wilner Canzano podcast the other day and Brock Heward was on there and he was talking about what he, when Chris Peterson took the Washington job and he asked him, you know, what, what's the one thing that's going to turn the thing around? And he didn't say quarterback. He didn't say running back a wide receiver. He said defensive lineman. If they can get enough defensive linemen, that would that would turn things around, and that's what happened when when Peterson got some uh, top-notch off- uh, defensive linemen at Washington. They became the class of the conference, and I, and I think I think it's uh, overlooked a lot that the the, the stuff on the offensive and defensive lines in the Pac-12 with, with, with a they have a lot of skill position players, but I think that's really the difference, and I think that's the case for Oregon. I think their offensive line is really. Nick's has been great, no question. But I think the difference really is their offensive line, which is probably the best. One sack for the whole season. That's that's unbelievable. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. And I think for for as much success as Oregon's offensive lines have had in recent years, I think some people would tell you that the defensive line has been kind of underwhelming. Um, aside from Kayvon Thibodeau, they really haven't had too many, you know, can't miss guys. Brandon Dorless looks like one of those guys now, but if they want to get where they want to really get to, you know, in the, the playoff again, mm-hmm. um, I think that you need to have multiple studs along the, the defensive line. So if one of them gets, you know, taken out or, you know, schemed around, you're not, you're not, you know, empty handed. So I think that for as good as their offensive line's been, they need to keep hitting the defensive line and they're doing a really good job. Uh, bringing in some really talented edge rushers here in the 2023 class and some big bodies on the defensive line and the interior in 23. But um, we don't need to get too deep into recruiting. I feel like if I go on that tangent, I'll just never stop. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that was a good, a good little warm up to kind of give us a feel for where Cal is at and kind of where the fans are at. Um, and now we'll move into our next topic. Just talking a little bit about what's on the line in this game, Oregon against Cal. Cal goes into this game, like we said, uh, just one in three in, in Pac-12 play so far. Uh, and they had a loss to – it's a little bit of a mixed bag, right? Because they had a loss to Colorado, which is no matter bad. any way you slice bad. it, it's flat out embarrassing. Um, and they just, especially because Colorado just fired their head coach. Uh, but then things were looking ugly against Washington, and then you kind of came back towards the end. So in, in your opinion for where Cal is at, what do you kind of think is on the line in this game against Oregon? Well, they, they're still hoping for a bowl bid. I think the odds are against it now because they got, they got uh, Oregon and USC still to play yet, so it's going to be tough for them to get a bowl. But I think they just need uh, – if they can start playing some offense, if they can start scoring some points, I think that would that would uh, satisfy a lot, of the, a lot of the fans, at least make it look like they're capable of scoring points. They've really been really bad. They, they were shut out in the first half against Washington. And it wasn't until the second half that they really got things going. And the problem offensively is that, like I said, they have no offensive line. Their offensive line, not a single one of the five positions that started against uh, Washington was playing in the same position as they did in the opener. That's five different positions that are different from the opener. And that's, I don't think you can win any games, many games that way with, uh, with an offensive line that's changing that much. That's the other thing, we're alluding to the other previous question that you got to have a little depth on those lines too. So if one guy goes down, you're not completely got nothing behind them. But I think that's, that's the case for Cal though, that that their offensive line is so bad that everything else looks bad as a result. And so if they can get a little something out of the offensive line, I I think that would, that would really help them in terms of at least their mindset. At this point, the, the, uh, the season is more about looking good, than being good necessarily yeah so it sounds like they're they're still searching for their offensive identity we know they're uh they certainly have some capable playmakers we're going to talk about Jaden not a little bit more later on in the show uh but it sounds like they're still looking for that offensive identity and you know that's something they're, they're going to need obviously for this season if they want to get to a bowl game which would be a step in the right direction for them based on how things have gone but really even in the long term uh, for, for this team with, with Justin Wilcox having signed a contract extension. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're still kind of evaluating what a good season would look like and, you know, yeah. what signs of growth we're looking for. So like what we see there from Cal, kind of what we're hearing about where they're at, but for yeah, Oregon, they haven't had a good offense in any of the seasons that Wilcox has been there. So they're still waiting, still, they're still waiting for a, a decent offensive season which is a, a, a drastic contrast to when Sonny was there, Sonny Dykes, 
when they were great on offense, they would score 40 points a game, but they give up 50. So it's, it's direct opposite. Yeah, so they, they gotta they gotta find that offense and, and try to get things figured out on, on that side of the ball and, and Berkeley to flip the question a little bit and give some more insight on where Oregon's at. Uh, obviously, a much different story. Um, I think for me, coming off of that UCLA game and and now you get kind of a not a break, but you know two of the <laughs> the lower level Pac-12 teams uh, in Cal and Colorado. I think you just have to look for dominance on both sides of the ball, really. There, there's no reason to expect anything less from Oregon offensively, seeing that the they've been moving the ball so well and scoring so many points. But um, I think on defense, this is really where we're going to be looking for some growth uh, for Oregon, seeing that they play Washington and Utah uh, in the following weeks after these two games. And their, their defense hasn't really been where it's needed to be. Uh, I think that they're making some good stops. Um, or I shouldn't say stops, sorry, because UCLA didn't punt the ball a single time last game. Um, which I think was obviously a little bit concerning. However, with how explosive that offense is, I think you're happy that you're start, you're able to hold some of those, limit some of those drives to field goals. Um, and that's kind of what really helped Oregon pull away in that game uh, because they were scoring touchdowns and UCLA was settling for field goals. But the, the, yeah, the biggest point I'm trying to get at, especially since you said that the offensive line is such a struggle this should be an, a golden opportunity for the Oregon defense to thrive, get some pressure on Jack Plummer, force some turnovers. I think if you can, you know, if you can do that, you can get pressure and and come away with some turnovers. That that's certainly a step in the right direction. And then you want to see some better coverage, I think, from uh, just the whole defense, but certainly the back end. The one thing that Cal's offense has done is they they've taken care of the ball pretty well. They haven't moved it, but they haven't turned it over very very much. So. That's, I guess that's the one positive sign of the, of the Cal offense. And I was just thinking regarding the uh, Oregon-UCLA game, I thought the key play of the game was the onside kick because they got an extra possession. Neither team could stop the other team, but but Oregon had more possessions <laughs> than U- UCLA did. And I thought, that was the, I thought that was the difference. Yeah, that game was close for the, you know, the, the entire first quarter. It was only, it was three to three at the end of one. So it was super close. And I think the second quarter is when they had that onside kick. Um, that just totally uh, caught UCLA off guard. Um, so Oregon needs to keep trying to find those opportunities to maybe steal a possession back or you know catch the catch their opponent on their toes. Um, but uh, but yeah, so let's see. We're that's kind of where we're at as far as what's on the line for for Oregon. I think that uh, there's not really a lot of unknown at this point. I think the biggest unknown is how much more can this defense grow between now and the end of the season, or even now and Washington and Utah, because those are the most critical games still on their schedule. And then, heck, they rack up, they wrap up the regular season uh, against Oregon State, which isn't playing phenomenal football, but their defense has, has been very, very stout so far this year. Uh, and, you know, anything can happen in a rivalry, Jake. Uh, yeah. So they got to they gotta stay on their on their guard for that one. And Jonathan, um, and Jonathan Smith is a really underappreciated coach, it seems to me. Yeah, no, I, I would I would totally agree with you. I, I thought going into this season that, I mean, I can own up to it now, but I thought that Oregon State was going to be the number two team in uh, the Pac-12 North, and, and that's not that's not so much the case now. But I feel like even though the season isn't going you know phenomenally for them, I still feel like you definitely have some confidence in the direction that the program's going and, and what Jonathan Smith's been able to accomplish there. Yeah, well, they're, they're what, six and two or whatever? Look it up right now. That's pretty good. That's pretty good record. 
Let me see here. Yeah, I'm trying to. I was looking at it the other day. Okay, at six and two, three and two in the conference. Um, losses to USC and Utah, which and they is had, they had USC beaten just about, didn't they? What was the score of that game? That was yeah, fourteen to seventeen. So it was yeah. a really a really close one uh, there in Corvallis. And Cal 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 is a not a good team, but a better certainly a much better team offensively at home. They're two really really bad offensive games were at Washington state where they scored nine and at Colorado where they scored 13 against the worst defense in the country. <laughs> you know, that's when, that's when that was the, uh, the real hit, hit, hit rock bottom was that game when they scored 13 against Colorado. Hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a brutal showing for, for anybody, but, um, yeah, we 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 uh we don't have to talk about that one too much. Um, <laughs> the the next point that I want to get into here, uh, Jake, is taking a look at Cal's offense. Uh, we got two guys that we want to spotlight that I think the story kind of starts with, and uh, that's quarterback Jack Plummer, and then running back Jaden Ott, who, if you follow recruiting, you know at one time was a former Oregon commit. So kind of a cool crossover story there. But Ott's really bursted onto the scene as a freshman, even though. Even amid Cal's offensive struggles, I think he's he's one of the better backs that the conference has to offer. Um, and then I think a good place to start with any offense is the guy who's uh, running the show at quarterback. So what, what are your thoughts on those two and kind of where the, the offense has been at and, and what's been a, a rough year so far? Yeah, well, Ott's been – he's very impressive. I mean, he broke out in that game against Arizona. We had 274 yards. And ever since then, everybody's been uh, heavy in the box trying to – trying to focus on him. And he, he said he, he hasn't had any many good games since then. He's been very limited in his yards per game, yards per attempt and yards for the, for the uh, game in every game since that. And he's really dropped down in terms of his uh, average per carry and average yards per game. So th- th- there again, it's the offensive lines issue. And also you need to get a passing game, a pack, a passing attack, to uh, force people to be a little lighter in the box than they are defensively. Uh, Plummer, a little bit hard to tell because he's been pressured so many times, uh, 23 sacks this season as a compared to one for Oregon. Um, so, and, and he's had, last couple of games, he's had a little bit of a leg issue that has limited his, his, uh, his uh, ability to escape and scramble. So it makes him a little more of a, a statue in the, in the pocket. Uh, I think he'll be a little healthier this week against Oregon. He's been okay. I, I guess he, he's been about what they expected him to be. He's not in the caliber of, of Williams or Knicks or Penix or, uh, or, uh, or the uh, Utah guy uh, rising. Right. Uh, but he's, he's capable enough to have a better offense than what they're showing. And they have good wide. They have good receivers. They have very capable receivers. So that's not really the issue. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at Plummer's numbers here, and and they're not terrible. You know, 158 for 258, 61.2 yeah, percent completion, think, 12 touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, I think he's what 12 and three as far as touchdowns and interceptions. Yeah, that's, that's not bad at all. You know, but but he can't. He's not mobile like like the other top-notch quarterbacks in the Pac-12 are. And he was more mobile uh, earlier in the season, so I don't know. I don't, we'll have to see whether he's 
gain some mobility uh, this week. Yeah, nearly nearly 1,800 yards through the air for Jack Plummer, who transfers over from Purdue a season ago. Uh, I remember I saw this storyline, and I can maybe get some of your thoughts here, Jack, Jake, was um, when I saw that uh, it, the last quarterback was Garbers, right? Right. right. Uh, when, when I saw that he declared for the draft and they needed to find a quarterback, I, I was a little surprised with, with Plummer uh, just because, like we've been talking about the whole episode, the story with Cal has been their lack of an explosive offense. Um, so when he committed to Cal, I was just kind of scratching my head thinking, is this really the guy that you think is going to help guide the offense back in the right direction? Um, yeah. I think Garbers was able to make up for you know some of the limitations of that offense because he was mobile, like you were saying, is yeah. kind of lacking here with Plummer. He made some really impressive plays with his legs, was able to improvise and and kind of keep that offense afloat a little bit. But now with Plummer, who comes in 6'5", 215, a little bit more of your traditional pocket passer. Yeah, yeah. I I was uh, I was unsure myself. I mean, he he got beaten out for the starting job at Purdue midway through last year, so that's why he transferred. So. And I, th- I don't know that he's been that much of a, a, a lower representation of Garbers. Garbers, he had he had his issues. I mean, he, he was unable to – very slow release in terms of waiting and waiting and waiting. Plummer is more decisive in terms of his passing. He, he's not nearly as mobile as Garbers, and he's not a threat on the ground. But in terms of strictly passing, I sort of like Plummer better than Garbers. Sure. Yeah. And I, and I can see that. Um, he, he did have a couple of good throws from when I was watching the Cal Washington highlights. Um, like we talked about, you know, Cal kind of came trying to roar back there a little bit at the end. Um, I like what I've seen from, from some of the wide receivers so far this year for Cal uh, with uh, Jeremiah Hunter and, and Michael Sturdivant as the, the top two receivers there mm-hmm. with just about the same production uh, right around 450 yards a pop. They're, they're, much better than the receivers Cal has had in the last couple of years. And Hunter missed the last game with an injury. And I, he's expected to be back this year, and that'll that'll help him as well. But Cal has – the wide receiver is not an issue. They have – they're definitely good enough wide receivers. I think uh, one of the guys that I really liked on previous Cal teams that I'm kind of bummed isn't there anymore is Nico Romijo. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he transferred to Fresno State. And, right. um, and he's doing well. It, it's yeah, because isn't Plummer or not Plummer? Sorry, uh, Hainer isn't Hainer hurt or did he like break his leg or something? I want to say he he was hurt. I don't know if he's back or not, but yeah, he was hurt. I, I don't know if that was a season-ending injury or not, but uh, yeah, he was hurt and he missed. He certainly missed some time, and uh, it hasn't been easy for Tedford <laughs> in his return to Fresno State there. Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting to see how that uh, that followed. Uh, Sorry, uh, it's been interesting to see all the movement with the coaches uh, as far as, you know, between like we saw, saw a lot of those guys go from Fresno State up to Seattle to follow um, Kalen DeBoer uh, and then just cool to see how all these pieces shake out. Um, what, what's, getting... what's, what's the people in, in, in Eugene? What's the reaction to what's happening with Cristobal in, in Miami? Oh, um, I, I mean, it comes across my uh, my timeline every now and then, but I, w- I would like to think that uh, they're they're pretty happy about it, just because you know he just because he you know left because of the timing of when he left and the way that he left. Um, I feel like I kind of thought he was gone after the Pac-12 championship game. Like that press conference was just so tense, yeah. you could just like grab it in your hand, and it just felt like he was kind of going. Um, 
But I think a lot of people think that, you know, or they're seeing maybe that Miami kind of jumped the gun a little bit, not in terms of uh, hiring him for the job, but just the amount of resources that they mobilized as quickly as they did. Um, and now, you know, it's a, it's a rebuild. It's not a, it's not a reload one year turnaround. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it kind of looks like it might be with Lincoln Riley at USC. I think that's the best case scenario you possibly could have asked for going from four and eight to where they're at now. Well, when you're bringing what 40 transfers or whatever USC brought in there. Yeah, exactly. You, you could remake a team in a hurry. Yeah. So I, I think just with how everything unfolded there, and uh, with with how their offense is looking and how their recruiting situation is looking, they're recruiting really well, but we've yet to see that on the field. But it takes time. You know, you're not going to see that right away anywhere you go. Uh, and he was talking a couple of days ago, maybe this week, just about how you all uh, you all start rebuilds in, in different places. And, and obviously, or um, not Oregon, sorry, Miami's got uh, quite a hold to dig them out, themselves out of after losing to Duke. And I think that was seven or eight turnovers. Yeah, yeah. Well, whenever a first-year coach comes in and they're not doing well, they always harp on the fact that it takes a while to to build a program. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it it does take a while to build a program, especially if um, you know if if you're a newer head coach, and depending on what situation you come into. Um, but Jake, any any other thoughts you wanted to add just about this uh, Cal offense and, and kind of where they're at, or anything we need to be aware of heading into this game? Uh, well, I think I mentioned it before, but they're a lot better offensive team at home. Uh, they've, they've scored points at home, at least. And I don't know why. I mean, everybody's better at home, but they're, they're really markedly better offensively at home. So I, I think they'll score some points against Oregon. Uh, whether they'll score enough to keep up with Oregon is, is another issue altogether. But I, 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 don't, I, I think they'll be able to move the ball and score a bunch of points in that game. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll we'll see we'll see how the the Cal offense is able to move the ball against Oregon. I, I feel confident that Oregon's going to be able to first force some turnovers and and get after uh, Plummer there in the backfield. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break here for those of you listening to us on the audio side of things. Don't go anywhere. We got more Oregon and Cal preview content for you after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Duck Stage Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, talking with Jake Curtis of Cal Sports Report ahead of this weekend's game between number eight Oregon and the Cal Golden Bears. Jake, we talked a lot about the offense and kind of where things are at uh, with this Cal program. Uh, and, you know, talked about the mood of the fan base and, and faith in Wilcox or lack thereof in some cases, maybe. But let's flip to the other side of the ball and, and get familiar with Cal's defense. What's the story with Cal's defense? I think that's kind of been their calling card in these past couple seasons and kind of viewed as a strength. Yeah, I, it, it's clearly their strength. And in a lot of cases, I think it's schematic and coaching. Uh, I mean, Wilcox has always been a defensive guy. And uh, Peter Sermon, the defensive coordinator, seems to be able to do some things. It, it's a defense that, that is able to adapt to a lot of situations. The talent on defense this year is okay, not great. Uh, I think it's more about the scheme and the coaching this year that's made it as good as it is. Okay. Yeah, more, more about the scheme rather than the players. Um, and Cal's more been known, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, at least in recent years for their defensive back play, um, yeah. sending a couple guys to, to the league. They had a really good linebacker, uh, who was just a super athlete a couple years ago. I'm totally blanking on his name. He was like six, four, six, five, and he could move like crazy. Uh, well, that wouldn't be Evan Weaver was their best linebacker, but he wasn't mobility was an issue for him. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. Jordan Kanasek maybe before that. Oh, maybe maybe you're talking about uh, uh, Coin Dang, who is yes, uh, yes, yeah. He he was he he had great potential, never quite materialized for him, and he he was an undrafted free agent in the NFL, and didn't make a team. But yeah, I always thought he would be a star in the in the Pac-12, and it never quite materialized for him, and I I don't know exactly why. He was a really smart guy, great athlete, good size. Just didn't quite happen. <laughs> okay, yeah, he, he. I just remember he was one of the more exciting guys to watch when when Oregon and Cal. Well, he had off. He, he had the big plays against Oregon when they beat him down here the last time. He forced two fumbles and uh, was a big part of that win. I think he was Defensive Player of the Week in the Pac-12 that week. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you, we were recording some stuff for your site before we got here. So I kind of wanted to take a question from from you there um just kind of get us up to speed if you could on on some of the names that we need to know uh on or, that Oregon fans should know when they're getting ready for this Cal matchup on defense yeah uh well their best player is Jackson Sermon inside linebacker and the uh and the coach's son um he he's a steadying influence they've had a lot and they play with four linebackers, two inside linebackers, and two outside linebackers. And he's been the only one that's stayed the same. They've, they've switched the positions on every other play and every other, every other position there. Um, and I would say the, the other player of note uh, is the strong safety is, is uh, Daniel Scott. And an underrated player is the other safety, Craig Woodson. Um, beyond that, they don't have a lot of stars. They have a freshman, uh, 
uh, Jeremiah Irby, who's played a lot, started just one game, but he he's a guy who looks like he's going to be a future pro, I would even say. Hard to say yet, you know, when they're a freshman, but his his instincts are so good. He just makes plays on the ball, which is which has been a, a weakness for Cal's defensive backs, if, if, if there is one, is they're not, they don't play the ball in the air that well. Uh, although uh, uh, the two two safeties uh, do play the ball in the well, play the ball in the air well. Um, but other than that, the the rest is just sort of a hodgepodge of, of defensive linemen and outside linebackers and the inside linebacker along with uh, Sermon. They're just a bunch of guys that have been thrown in there trying to find a combination that works. Okay, so it sounds like it's kind of a little bit more of a work in progress, you know, trying to find that right combination. You said that they were maybe thinking more about the scheme rather than having some of those stars. Like you need to coach them up a little bit more to, to get the most out of them. Sounds like yeah. that might be a little bit more of the situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they're, 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 their defensive backfield is is still, I think, the strength of the team aside from Sermon, but they don't get enough of a pass rush. If, if they don't get enough of a pass rush, any defensive secondary is going to look bad because <laughs> if you give anybody enough time uh, in the Pac-12 or any any decent conference, if you give any quarterback enough time, they're going to pick you apart. And without a, a decent pass rush, the secondary is, has looked bad, but I think it's partly because of that. I think there's a little bit of similarity there between Cal and Oregon because, like I've talked about a couple of times, I don't think Oregon's pass rush is bad. Like, I don't think it's definitively bad. I just think it's definitively not good enough and probably not where a lot of people think it should be, given the caliber of talent they have on their roster, given the yeah. coaches that they've assembled. Um, so Oregon's had a little bit of a, a struggle there as well with, with their secondary because I don't think the secondary would be considered the strength of this defense. I, I would feel like it'd probably more so be the defensive line or, or some of the linebackers. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they got to get pressure um to you know take some of that pressure off the the secondary uh, of covering so much because like i've said that christian gonzalez is is their main guy uh at defensive back and particularly corner and then there's a quite a bit of a drop off to those other guys on the team you have dante manning and triquas bridges who i think are are taking steps forward each week uh but you also see jaleel florence who's a true freshman who's getting thrown in there quite a bit um and uh I think it's more so out of necessity rather than, you know, this is a guy that just you can't afford to keep off the field. Yeah. I I think Oregon's past defense statistics, they're not very good uh, past defense statistics, but a lot of that is because they're so far ahead and the other team just has to pass the ball all the time. I would think, I would think because of that Oregon's uh, sack numbers might be a little better than they are. But I, but you know, the defensive secondary is going to look bad because of that, because the other team's throwing the ball all the time. Yeah, then that that's a good point. That's some good perspective that I think I, I probably should have brought up myself. So I got to give you some points there. Um, and then another thing with Oregon's defense is that Justin Flo has been kind of on and off hurt for for a lot of the year, um, and he's been rotating in with Jeff Bossa. So we, I still feel like Oregon fans probably haven't seen as much of the Flo Sewell combination that they've wanted to, or when they have, it's it's hasn't maybe measured up to where they want it to be. Uh, but the linebackers have been pretty solid overall, I would say for Oregon. Um, but there's definitely some room to grow there and they're going to need to do some growing because Noah Sewell is definitely playing his last season of college football right now yeah. uh, in, in Eugene. 
figure to lose him. Uh, but I know the Oregon's looking to, at some guys in 23. They still need to, you know, bolster the depth there. Um, so we're getting a feel for some of these guys that that uh, we need to keep an eye on. Uh, I'm seeing Jackson Sermons all the way from from Tennessee, which is cool um, to see. At least that's his hometown in, in Brentwood. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the the linebackers have been the strength. It seems, or sorry, the the secondary seems like it's been the strength for Cal. Uh, they're definitely going to be tested against this uh, this Oregon offense and, and Bo Nix. Bo Nix has proven to be capable of of pushing the ball down the field. And that Stanford game, there were some of those deep shots that were kind of losing steam on the tail end of them. So um, I think that he he hasn't made a ton of just like wow throws, um, but I think he's you know done a really good job of taking advantage of what the defense gives him and then finding the right time to maybe take some risks and, and you know thread the needle on some of these passes. So uh, that throw that throw he made to Franklin in the UCLA game that that's as good a throw as you'll ever see in college football. Oh, you're talking about the the deep touchdown pass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was a thing of beauty. Just getting to watch it, you know, from from top to bottom, um, what was was super fun. Um, any any other kind of stories or or notes on the the Cal defense kind of heading into this matchup against the red hot Oregon offense? Well, like I say, the the defense is good, and they've been able to hold the score down in a lot of games. But the offense, Cal's offense, is also kept the score down because they can't score. So they play a lot of low-scoring, uh, close games, and Cal hasn't been able to win those close games. They were 0-5 in games decided by a touchdown or less last year, and they're 0-3 in that category this year. So uh, when you have a team that is defensive-oriented, you know there's going to be a lot of close games, and they just haven't been able to win them for whatever reason. I mean, you can point out a lot of different reasons, but – they just haven't been able to win close games. And a lot of teams play close games in the Pac-12, but not not as many as Cal. I mean, I don't, I don't think Oregon State is, or Oregon has played – how many close games have they had? They haven't, they've had like one, I guess, right? One or two? The only one I can really think of is the Washington State game. Washington that State was 44-41, yeah. to 41, but every other game has been pretty pretty handily decided. Uh, you know, at Stanford, 45-27, to 27, but – that yeah. was some garbage time points, so I don't yeah. think you can really even point to they that one. They have a really good offense. You you have some blowout games like that, and they're not so close. But Cal can't do that. They have to they have to keep the score down, and they have to win close games. And they just and they haven't done it. Yeah, the, the you see the the separation between you know good and bad teams or good and great teams when when it comes to be crunch time uh, in those close games. I know that uh, speaking of close games, I think. There was some stat with Nebraska having lost like more than half of their games last year uh, yeah. by a score or less. So that's just absolutely brutal on yeah. uh, on their end. I think that they were the only team that was worse in close games than Cal. I remember seeing that stat somewhere. Well, we'll we'll see if uh, if Cal can keep it close on on Saturday. Not necessarily the expectation uh, as it goes right now. Yeah, um, I guess it, I guess the spread is what 15, 15 and a half somewhere in there. Two touchdowns. Yeah, I, I someone was saying something in the live chat. I think it was seventeen and a half. Oh, now it's up to seventeen and a half. Okay, um, it, it could be. I, I haven't looked since for a couple of days, and it could have jumped. Well, that's a big jump if it's two points in a couple of days. It's possible. Yeah, there's a well. We can. How about we just talk a little bit about the spread right now? Let's go ahead and go into mailbag, uh, and then I have some questions and comments that I starred here from our live chat. 
Uh, Gerard is one of our uh, longtime listeners. He says um, he was talking with exploring with Ben and Sam about betting the over or betting the Oregon to cover said the spread is 17 and a half right now, but I think the over is where it's at. It's currently 58. And he says in parentheses, Oregon will account for about 45 or more of that. I, I think have it's, to. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, I would expect Oregon to score at least 40 points. They've done it six straight games and, you know, yeah. heading to end of this game, I don't see any reason why they're going to slow down. All right. So yeah, that's a pretty big spread for uh, on the road against anybody. Yeah. Which, which is interesting because I think before this year, you hadn't really been able to trust Oregon on the road. Um, and granted, you know, they had that win over Arizona in their last road game. Um, that was 49 to 22. Uh, and I think Arizona is definitely better than this Cal team, or maybe not definitely, but I feel well, more, I certainly feel more confident in Arizona's offense than Cal's offense. Yeah, that's for sure. But Arizona's defense is, is worse. I, Cal beat Arizona by what, 18 points or something like that. That was what Cal's one good offensive game because <laughs> Arizona's defense is almost as bad as Colorado's, I think, but they have some offense. Yeah, so they can kind of use that to, to prop themselves up a little bit. Um, all right, so that's what Gerard had to say. <laughs> it's, uh, 17 and a half. I don't know. I, I might, to be honest, I might go with Cal at 17 and a half. If it's 15, I don't know, but 17 and a half. That's a lot of points for the on the road, seems to me. It yeah, it it does seem it does seem high, but I I I think that, that Oregon's offense can can deliver there and then get some takeaways on defense to to cover. So you'd bet this bet Oregon on the to beat the beat the spread? I think so. That's mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm not the best with betting, and honestly I oh, need I'm to terrible. to learn a little <laughs> bit more about it with all the terminology. But uh yeah, I think that's what I would go with. Yeah. All right, let's let's see. Um, th- this comment we don't really have to talk about this one. I just thought it was funny. This is from my, one of my good buddies, Michael, who is a Berkeley native. Uh, he said, "Been waiting for this preview, and it's in Berserkly." With yeah. that being said, Ducks by a million. So uh, we know who Michael's I'll, I'll going bet, with. I bet Cal on that spread. <laughs> okay, right on. I think, I think they'll get within a billion. All right. Um, now to a, a little bit of a more serious question. Mark says, do you think Cal will or can take advantage of the linebacker coverage? What do you think here, Jake? Well, Ott is a really good receiver. And if they – teams have been uh, – varied in terms of how they how they cover Ott because he's gotten a reputation as a receiver. But but occasionally they split him out and, and, a, and a linebacker will go out and try to cover Ott. And in those cases, Ott's been able to get behind him for big gains. Uh, so it's possible. I mean, he's the one. He's the one back that could uh, that could do some damage. Otherwise, I mean, the other receivers are are good enough to to beat defenders. I don't think the linebacker issue would be a major thing. Mostly across. I don't know. Does Does Oregon play mostly zone pass defense, or are they man to man primarily, or a little of both? I guess. I think it's been a little of both, but if if I had to weigh in, I would probably think it's a little bit more zone because their man like their man to man hasn't been too great uh, most yeah. of the year. Well, Cal doesn't hasn't used his tight ends very much over the deep or the short middle very much at all this season, so I don't know whether that would be a big problem. Uh, so I would say the only issue as far as linebackers in pass defense would be would be covering Ott. Okay, yeah, I mean. 
getting getting running backs like that out of the backfield that can do a little bit of everything presents a challenge for any defense. So I think, especially last game against UCLA, they were going against a really good running back, but not necessarily one that had as much of a reputation as a, a receiving threat. But right. early on in that UCLA game, Oregon was getting shredded in the flats. So they definitely yeah. have to make sure to account for that with going against a speedster like uh, like Ott here. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think I think that they can they can take advantage of it, but part of me also thinks it depends how their offense kind of gets going. And if yeah. they're able to, you know, if they can run the ball well, which we know Oregon excels running the ball, uh defending the run, I think that that can make it harder for them to to um kind of open the rest of their rest of their playbook. Yeah, I don't think it'll be an issue in the running game so much. Uh I think that I think Oregon will do fine in that regard. Okay. Well, good. Uh, thanks for the, the question there, Mark. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um, LFBP fishing says, I'd love to see our secondary get two to three interceptions. Uh, yeah. I, I think that this, this game and the Colorado game, I'm not saying I expect that necessarily, but this is good opportunities to, to continue growing that confidence. Certainly compared to last year, we have not seen as many turnovers generated by this Oregon defense. Uh, Gerard's comment earlier said that uh, he thinks that the defense is bend don't break. That was really the case last year, I thought, but they were able to rely on playmaking and turnovers, whether it be fumbles or, or interceptions, to kind of generate some some uh, you know excitement. But they were statistically they were giving up a whole lot of yards. They would let teams get into the red zone, and then it's like okay, now it's time to not break and uh, at least force them to settle for a field goal or get some interceptions. So. Against the Cal team, that that seems like they the offensive line isn't a strength. Um, maybe they're able to um, maybe they're able to get after them and, and force some turnovers, particularly through the air. Yeah, I would think uh, if they put some pressure on Plumber, maybe deflect some balls at the line. I, I think an interception or two is very much in the poss- realm of possibility. And and then just conversely, I think that Bo Nix has done a really good job taking care of the ball. That's probably the one of the biggest improvements that he's made this year, uh, just because he was known for a lot of turnovers. He had that one against two against Georgia, and then that really bad one against Washington State that uh, almost proved to be costly. But uh, but he's improved, cleaned that area up of his game. Yeah, I don't think I don't know that Cal Cal has some good uh, ball hawks in the secondary, but I don't know though if they'll be able to put enough pressure on him to really force him to make a bad decision in that regard. Gotcha. The um, next one we have uh, exploring with Ben and Sam. This is come, kind of dating back to your early our earlier conversation about some of the past uh, Cal coaches. But uh, exploring with Ben and Sam says Dykes was a great offensive guy. Biggest issue was a defense at Cal. But yeah, TCU still needs to fix some of their issues. But damn, do miss Dykes, Leach, etc. From the conference. Yeah, although I don't think offense is a big problem in the. Pac-12 this year. What do they got? Four teams averaging over 40 points. So there's enough offense going. And 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 I'm. It might be a little premature to say that Dykes is really the answer at TCU. I mean, he's dealing with a lot of uh, defensive guys that Patterson left behind. So that's I think that's helping him have a decent defense. So we'll see what happens when he has when he brings his own guys in. I, I'm not saying he can't, but I'm just saying it's a little too early to to say that uh, TCU's defensive efforts this year are 
are really the product of Dykes is doing. TCU has been fun to watch this year. Um, especially with all the conference realignment stuff going on. Uh, it's been pretty, pretty refreshing. I think to see TCU and, and Oak state, Kansas state having, having pretty strong seasons uh, so far. Yeah. yeah. Or even, yeah, Kansas too. I mean, they were, they, they, they're doing well uh, as far as um, you know, their standard goes. Yeah. All right, we got a couple more uh, on this episode. A couple more questions we got we want to get to, and then we'll wrap up the show for today. Um, let's see. Um, Robert here is talking about Oregon's off, sorry, Oregon's defense, and just kind of Oregon as a whole heading into this game. Robert says Oregon's defense is stronger than they are being given credit for, and their offense is smoking. We have as many potent backs and receivers as we did in 2010. Um, this is an interesting one, Jake, because you were asking me. Uh, how this Oregon team compares to you know some of Chip Kelly's best teams, and I think from a offensive depth standpoint, I, I would probably argue that it's up there. Uh, Troy Franklin in the receiving game is is the leader there, but they're it's not like they're incapable of having other guys get involved. Terrence Ferguson leads yeah. the team in touchdown receptions as a tight end, and there's pretty much no drop off regardless of who they put in there at running back. Um, but maybe I think maybe the defense does need a little bit more credit, especially because they've been playing in some blowouts. Yeah. Uh, maybe some of those stats have come when the starters have been off the field. And the other thing is that when, when Kelly was there, that super fast, quick tempo was new. It was an innovation at the time. And a lot of defenses couldn't handle it. Now there's quite a few teams that do it. So people were able to handle that. So I think that innovation really helped Oregon and Chip Kelly in those days. Yeah, and, and we're seeing some some innovation from Kenny Dillingham, certainly. Uh, one of the examples I like to point to was the the fake tunnel screen and then went over the top to Ferguson last week, so that was great. And we're seeing some of that tempo uh, both ways, really. I think accelerate, like, you know, accelerate, hurry up tempo and then that seven-and-a-half-minute drive against UCLA that just totally, you know, took the air out of the ball and kept UCLA's offense on the sideline. I think we've seen a good mixture of both of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, under Cristobal, it seemed like they were more of a ball control offense. I mean, they certainly had explosiveness, but certainly more ball, ball control than than uh, Chip Kelly's Oregon's team. Sure. No, absolutely. It, it kind of felt like it was keep away at times uh, when, when uh, Oregon was under Cristobal. Um, last question, and then we'll, uh, we'll end the mailbag. Uh, Tim asks, do you think Cal can hold the Ducks to two or more three and outs? So no. that means that Cal's going to force Oregon to punt two or two or well, more times. Well, three and outs. I mean, or, Cal yeah, three, defense, three, yeah. they don't give up too many big plays, but they're not, they don't do three and outs. They, they'll get, let a team have maybe two or three first downs on a possession and then force. I mean, Washington went up and down the field against the Cal in the first half, but they could, but once they got in the red zone, they couldn't score and they were, they were, uh, they had to uh, kick field goals and even miss one of the field goals. They were only up, Washington was only up six nothing in halftime, even though they went up and down the field. So Cal's defense is good about keeping teams out of the end zone, pretty much. Although they don't prevent first downs very much, so they may make them punt, but it would be after the second first down. Okay, yeah, and I I misread the question uh, for three and outs. I was just thinking about stops, but like three plays yeah. and you got to punt. I mean, with, with the way that Oregon's offense is operating, I don't really think that I see uh, see that happening. Um, but Washington, to their credit, you know, with going against Cal last week, they're they're one of the better offenses in the in the Pac-12. 
maybe maybe losing a little bit of steam with a, a kind of an inconsistent performance against Cal. Um, because I know that they were a team that I think up until last week had scored on their first possession of every game. I don't know right. if that stat came up in your yeah. in your research at all. Yeah, no, that that's right. That's what the, that's what the Washington beat writer said that they had scored on the first possession, scored a touchdown, I believe, on the first possession of every game, <laughs> and they didn't do that. They didn't score a touchdown until the second half against Cal. Yeah, so they're they're uh, they're going to be a team to watch because obviously uh, you know they're coming up on Oregon's schedule in a couple weeks. I'm going to be heading to Eugene for that game. Um, flights were not a fun thing to to figure out for that one, uh, seeing that we're getting close to holiday season. Uh, oh, but I'm yeah. super stoked to be back in Eugene for that game. Uh, really fun going through the mailbag here, uh, Jake. Appreciate you guys for leaving comments and asking us questions. Um, but I think we're going to go ahead and wind down on this episode. Uh, Jake, you know, as, as we're getting ready for this Oregon Cal game, uh, I know people want to learn more about Cal. I'll try to provide that on my site, but, um, just kind of wanted to give you an opportunity to, to plug your work and, and where people can find more of you and, and the Cal stuff that you have going on. Uh, yeah, it's Cal sports report. You know, I don't even know. (laughs) I don't even know what the official address is. We all click the things so automatically these days. Uh, it's, uh, Let's see. Okay. It's si.com slash college slash Cal. And uh, that's where we are. And Jeff Ferrado and I are the ones that put that together. Uh, I covered college football uh, or a lot of things at the San Francisco Chronicle for 27 years. And Jeff was at the Oakland Tribune for longer than that. And he covered Cal almost that entire time. I covered Cal for about half that time. All right. Well, if, yeah, if you guys want to find more of Jake's work covering the Cal Bears, go go read him on Cal Sports Report. If you want to find more of me and my work covering the Oregon Ducks, you can follow me on Twitter, that name right there on your screen, at Sports. You can find my written content, which is heavy recruiting lately, over on ducksdigest.com or si.com slash college slash Oregon. Uh, If you're watching here on YouTube, thank you guys for stopping by. Do me a favor, hit the like and subscribe button. If you're new and don't know where my YouTube channel is, it's youtube.com slash Oregon Football Max Taurus. And uh, the last big favor that I have to ask you guys is share the show. Share the Ducks Dish podcast with other friends, family, duck fans. You know the drill at this point. But I want to give a big thank you to Jake for coming on and giving us so much of his time to preview Oregon's matchup against the Cal Bears. Um, we'll see if we have another podcast before this game. If not, we'll be back to break down the game uh, once that gets wrapped up over the weekend. But uh, until next time, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. 
Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 